Hey Trinity family, my name is Damian Fayou. I'm the pastoral resident here at Trinity, and I'm really glad to be able to spend some time with you in God's Word today. Before we do that, I just want to remind you that we do have communion between 4 and 6 here at the church in our parking lot. We'd love for you to come and pick up a communion kit, spend some time with some familiar faces. we really love to see you. Now, if you have your Bible, um, I'd love for you to pick that up. It's in Matthew 22 this morning, and we'll be reading verses 15 through 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you were not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our story takes place in chapter 22, but in chapter 21, it's important to note that the Pharisees and the chief priests, the religious elite, were getting ready to try to arrest Jesus. But they didn't do it because they were afraid of the crowd. This is important to know because the crowd knew and believed that Jesus was a prophet. At least that. And from the whole story, we know that they believed he was also the Messiah. He was a prophet. He's supposed to be the one to come and preach and speak to the powers that be. Or he was supposed to be the Messiah who was supposed to reign and be their king instead of Caesar. And so all of this is really important because of where we end up in our story This passage in chapter 22 starts with the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus in his words. And they even pair up with these people named the Herodians, which we don't know much about them. But what we do know about them is that they were followers of King Herod. And that's important to know because that would have meant that they were pro-Roman government. King Herod, if, if you don't know, was the king during the birth of Jesus. And he was the king that was so threatened by the possibility that Jesus would be the king of the Jews and replace him that he murdered all of the two-year-old boys and younger during the time of Jesus' birth. And the Herodians and the Pharisees wouldn't have even been friends. They had different agendas, but they did have a common enemy, and that was Jesus. First off, in, in this passage, we see that they give, they send their disciples, and they give Jesus what I call lip service. They say, teacher, we know that you are true. And teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. I want to stop right here and ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were being set up when someone began to talk to you? Maybe it's your child and your child says, hey, I know how much you love me. And you want me to have a good time with my friends, so fill in the blank. A friend saying, hey, I know how much you love helping people, so I'm moving next weekend, and 
Or your coworker that comes up to you and says, hey, I know you love organizing. And so I was thinking, you feel the setup. Let me read the passage again for us to hear this a bit clearer. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Do you hear it? The setup. And here's the question in verse 17. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? This is the trap. Because for the Jewish people, paying taxes was difficult. And not only was this a financial burden, but this was a financial and physical reminder that Caesar was reigning over them, that they were actually a conquered people. And the paying of taxes was was a continuous reminder of not just of how Caesar had their thumb on them, that he conquered them, but that their place in the world was a conquered and oppressed people. And if Jesus says, yes, pay your taxes to Caesar, then the Jews in the crowd would have probably felt alienated by Jesus. They would have probably asked questions like, why doesn't Jesus stand up for us? Isn't he a prophet? Isn't he the Messiah? Does he not have strong things to say about the one who has conquered us Or even these taxes. And if Jesus says no, don't pay your taxes to Caesar, then the Pharisees and the Herodians would have had Jesus arrested. And this is what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to say something that was in clear rebellion against Caesar's kingdom. And then they would have been justified in arresting him as a threat. Or he pays his tax, he says, pay taxes to Caesar. And the people might have left him, which is, again, what the Pharisees and the Herodians would have wanted. Good, his power, his authority, his crowd left. And so it's a win-win situation for them, but it's an impossible question for Jesus. And I don't know about you, but what I know about the world that we live in is that we are faced with impossible questions all of the time. They might sound like, who are you voting for? They might sound like, in light of COVID, should we reopen or not? Do I buy a home in that neighborhood in light of what I know about gentrification? Should I send my child back to school or not? How do I honor my parents when we cannot seem to agree? And when you and your neighbor don't see eye to eye and the conflict between you seems impossible to solve, what do you do? These are the impossible questions we are faced with all the time, and it can feel like our backs are up against the wall. And either decision we make is going to make our lives that much more uncomfortable and complex. So what do we do? In verse 18, Jesus, it says, But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, "Put me, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? Jesus, being very clear about his understanding of their trap, asked this question that begins to reframe the whole conversation. Whose likeness and inscription is this? On the coin, if you were holding it in your hand, you would have noticed Caesar's face. and You would have noticed his name. And this is important to note because when Rome would, be, would conquer a particular place, they would begin to use this coin as a symbol of who this people and this place belonged to. So paying taxes felt like a big statement about 
who owned all of this? And Jesus asks, whose likeness and inscription is this? By asking this question, Jesus is beginning to put his finger on something that hits far too close to home when he begins to answer. Jesus understands the message that this face on this coin represents. And Jesus understands that these people know well what it means for an image to be connected to belonging. And Jesus understands that those within earshot distance know well the implications of that belonging and image bearing. And so he asks, whose likeness and inscription is this? In verse 21, they said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. It's clear that they understand this coin with Caesar's face on it belongs to him. But the question I hear Jesus asking in his statement is, what do you do when you realize you, your neighbor, and your enemy bear the image of God? How does this impact you and you in this impossible question? Give to Caesar his coins, but give to God what belongs to God. They were asking about the tax, and they were relating to Jesus according to the story they were trying to trap him in. But Jesus redirects our attention to a larger story. He could have exposed the problems within the logic and the statement, but instead what he does is expand our imagination to help us see the larger story that in turn would give us perspective on the smaller story. And when I say smaller story, I, I, don't, mean, I don't mean insignificant. But what I do mean is that there are things, there might be things that when we connect to the larger story, we find to be more significant. And what's brilliant about what Jesus does by placing this question in a larger story is that he's actually removing the power of the trap by connecting to this larger story. And it creates freedom. Because Jesus gives us perspective and freedom by connecting us to the larger story. At first, we think the story is all about taxes. And if we simply allow it to be about this smaller story, we'll feel trapped. But Jesus shrinks down this story and places it within something larger. And, and what he does is he wants us to live in light of knowing where God places his image in us. And you see, in particular to, the, to this story, the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to trap Jesus in this smaller story. But what happens usually is when we feel trapped in the smaller story, it's really easy for us to feel like it's us versus them. It's really easy for people to feel divided, for people to feel like they can treat people differently because of the smaller story that they're in. But what God wants us to do is to see a larger picture. And what might we gain from seeing this larger picture? Caesar might bear his image on coins, but Genesis teaches us that God bears his image in us, even in Caesar. What first might have looked like a trap to get Jesus to make claims against Caesar or to endorse Caesar, putting him in a tough situation either way, became an opportunity for Jesus to shrink the story of Caesar within the larger story of God by pointing us to God's image, not on coins, 
but in us. And again, what seemed like a question about who these coins belong to became a story about who we belong to. But this is what impossible questions do. They make us feel trapped. And it's difficult to see beyond the story that we're trapped in, but what if? Instead of simply exposing the problem, what if we're able to take Jesus up on the invitation to expand our imagination into a larger story, a larger story about our belonging? And instead of tearing each other down over who we're going to vote for, instead of judging the people making decisions about reopening or not, instead of exposing the problems and the logic of your friend or fighting with your spouse about the decisions that are really difficult to make right now, instead of allowing your relationship with your parents to become shallow and distant because of the problems you're unable to solve, what if we followed Jesus into expanding our imagination to a larger story? In particular, this story draws our attention to image bearing. And my question for you is what does this do to your smaller story? In your smaller story that you feel like it's us versus them, what would it mean for you to recognize that them, that they actually have God's image in them too? And so do you. And what does that do to the conflict that's dividing you, to the impossible question that you feel stuck in? And in particular to our own story, you might not get how image-bearing connects to the smaller story you feel stuck in. But what if you too took Jesus up on his invitation to consider a larger story that you might gain perspective and freedom in a situation that feels like you're trapped? What freedom and perspective might await you if you connected to the larger story? In verse 20, he asks, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and went away. Might we hear it, and might we marvel. And I want to pray before we do that. I want to give you some questions for you all to press pause and talk about in your groups. First question is this, what is the impossible question that you feel trapped by? Question two is, how does God's image in you and others challenge the story you feel trapped by? And the last one, what freedom and perspective might you gain by connecting to the larger story of belonging that Jesus is inviting us into? As we close, I would love to take an opportunity to pray the Lord's Prayer as a way of connecting to the larger story. And maybe this week, if we don't know what the larger story is, maybe our spiritual practice is praying the Lord's Prayer as a way of widening our view on the situations that feel like they trap us. God is offering you perspective and even more than that freedom in the places that you feel trapped. Would you pray with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you go in peace? And we hope to see you this afternoon.